When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to my seven chakras, and now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My Seven Chakras, my7chakras.com, the place where we help you experience effortless healing, awakening, and abundance. In today's episode, which by the way is a special episode, we're going to explore some powerful topics like the importance of breathing consciously, how our breathing influences our physiology, the spirituality of breathing, and how controlling your breath can actually transform your life and make you live longer. So if you'd like to explore these topics in your car or at your home, then make sure that you hit the subscribe button because that'll ensure, that'll do some magic in the algorithm world so that people who might not notice our podcast will end up seeing this episode and if you'd like to join our official facebook group as well then make sure that you go to my seven chakras.com forward slash tribe my seven chakras.com forward slash tribe with that being said our guest for today is the one and only dan brule dan brule is a modern day teacher healer and world-renowned pioneer in the art and science of breath work he is one of the creators of breath therapy and he was among the original group of internationally certified rebirthers he's a master of prana yoga and qigong chinese medical breathing exercises and he leads the worldwide spiritual breathing movement he coaches trains and certifies professional breath workers, and since 1970, he has traveled to 67 countries and has trained more than 250,000 people to use their breath and breathing for personal growth, professional development, peak performance, self-healing, and spiritual awakening. And by the way, Tony Robbins wrote a foreword for Dan Brule's book. So you can imagine the type of content and the type of information and wisdom that we're going to get in today's episode. And by the way, in case you didn't know, this is the third appearance of Dan Brule on our podcast. And the last time we connected was somewhere in 2018. So Dan, super excited to have you on our show. How's it going? <laughs> well, wonderful. As I said, if things are going any better, I'd have to be twins you know, I almost feel a little bit guilty uh, during this shutdown, during this corona craziness. 
for us, it's been just this amazing, unplanned, unexpected opportunity to, to really pause, to really stop, to dig in. And it's resulted in a lot of creative juices flowing and God, I've been busier than ever. And meanwhile, so many people in the world are really suffering and really struggling. And so my heart goes out to people. And uh, so, you know, what we, we do what we can. We make the best of every situation. And uh, sometimes something that we think is something really negative turns out to be a blessing, a gift. And it's that, that's what's happening for us, uh, at least in our corner of the world, around this whole crazy shutdown thing. Oh, absolutely. I think it's been a hard time for a lot of people around the world, especially in terms of divisiveness. You have people on both sides and there's a lot of uh, anxiety, stress as well. But I think your services and your support are even more needed right now as you very uh, profoundly teach people how to breathe correctly and properly and well. So I think it's a very opportune moment, like you've alluded to. Uh, for this interview i was hoping to start from the very beginning uh maybe if you could tell us where did you grow up and uh, what was life as a kid for for dan <laughs> yeah well you know i was the kid who in the schoolyard was organizing all the breath holding competitions uh you know i can remember we you know we'd play with hyperventilating and then like squeeze each other and almost pass out and you know just playing with the playing with the breath i since you know i was raised in new bedford massachusetts uh which is uh, where moby dick you know and there's a whaling capital of the world catholic school uh factory industry town garment factory um textile mills uh the akushnet river uh was right next to us uh so a very old american indian tradition in that part of the world and uh, so the energy is really beautiful in the forests and along the ocean there. Uh, but yeah, I got turned on to the breath as a little Catholic boy in kindergarten, hearing about how God breathed into the nostrils of man, the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And I don't know, it just hearing that as a little five-year-old kid, it just, I don't know, it lit something up in me. And um and I've just been a missionary for the breath ever since. And every job I've ever had and, and, uh, has kept taking me back to the breath in one way or another until it's the only thing I've really done now for the last 40 years is has been a missionary for the breath. So, um, and it's, you know, 40, 50 years ago, I felt like a voice crying out in the desert. People go, <laughs> breathing? What's that? Breathing? Ah. And so now it's great that the science has caught up and can now we have understanding on why some of the ancient yogic practices and Taoist practices and why they work and, and what's what's involved in them. And uh, so I love that science and spirit meet and the breath is, is exactly a perfect place where science and, and uh, spirituality can meet. Wonderful. So I love that you drew inspiration from texts in the Bible about how God breathed uh, life in into man and you were doing these breathing practices with your friends and obviously you lived in a place that has <laughs> access to nature as well. So did you ever have any mystical or spiritual experiences as a kid, something that you can remember? <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, from the very uh, early on, just when you start to play with the breath, 
Whether you mean to or not, you begin to stumble over things, accidentally bump into things, bring stuff up, access things. And, and the more you focus on your breath, the more you focus on your body, your feelings, your emotions, your energy. And so without realizing it, it launched me into a practice of mindfulness before it was called mindfulness or meditative awareness. Kriya yoga, kundalini yoga, shakti yoga, prana yoga, you know, just just accidentally stumbling along, you know. And uh, and really around 11 years old, I think, was my first real major ecstatic sort of breakthrough, you could say. Uh, I entered, I transcended my normal consciousness. I entered into some kind of communion with my source, uh, this ocean of love around us, the, the energy of existence. And, you know, how do we talk about a God, uh, you know, like a biological experience of God, a, a cellular experience of divine energy, just as a child, just, just playing really. But it got really serious at one point um, because I was felt like I was being called in a direction where the kids around me weren't and even my teachers and the nuns in catholic school they weren't they weren't getting something that i mm. started to feel was really important and and it came to a, a a crux it came to a peak in the sixth grade i was 11 years old and uh you know i i wrote an article years about this called boobs and baseball which are the two things that 11 year old boys when I was 11, that's all we cared about was boobs and baseball. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, um, I, had a, I had kind of a, a, a combination of a closing off to what everybody else was into and what they were trying to suck me into. Like one part of it was putting up a wall against that. And the other was digging deeper into something that nobody else around me seemed to be interested in or, 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 or cared about. Mm. Um, and that was, who am I? You know, like, because I, ha I have these recurring dreams and I have this experience, kind of a, a surreal kind of uh, fantasy experience where I, I imagined that I, I could have been a black child born in, in Africa. And <laughs> So I was looking through a copy of National Geographic magazine, and I found this image of these little African boys, and they were all about my age, around 10, 11 years old or so, and they all had a stick in their hand, and there was a coconut on the ground. Yeah. And they were like frozen in the air, and the dust in the air, and they're frozen with their stick. And at that time, I had my baseball bat and my baseball, and I looked at that picture of these African kids with the stick and the coconut, and I looked at my baseball bat, my ball, and I started thinking, wow, I could have been born in Africa. And instead of having a baseball bat and a baseball, I'd be playing with a stick and a coconut. Right. And I'd be eating whatever they eat, bugs. I thought little African kids ate bugs. Mm -hmm. And I'd be believing whatever they believed. And I'd be learning whatever they're learning and, and doing whatever they do. But instead, I was born in a different place, in a different religion, in a different uh, country. And I was learning different things. And I I had a different name and I was playing different games, but I started to realize, wait a minute, who, I could have been born in Africa. 
I could have been born 100 years ago. I could have been born 100 years in the future. I could have been born a Jew instead of a Catholic. I could have been born a girl instead of a boy. Mm. And so these questions were leading me to who am I under these sur surface almost coincidental, accidental. I happened to be born into this family. I could have been born into another family. And so, but who am I at this deeper level? And I didn't have anybody to talk to about that. People just rolled their eyes back of their head and said, oh, let's look at boobs and let's talk about baseball or, <laughs> you know. And so I, I was kind of forced onto my own path alone in a way. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until many years later that the that the breathwork world kind of really awakened. The modern breathwork world really originated with Leonard Orr and the rebirthing movement. And um, and the idea, and it really caught me immediately because Leonard Orr's definition or idea about rebirthing breathwork was the merging of the outer breath, which is air, and the inner breath, which is spirit. And so, and so then I had a technology, kind of a, a spiritual technology for awakening through the path of breath work. And so I made breath mastery my path because I realized in the process of mastering my breath, I have to master my mind. I have to master my emotions. I have to master my body. And so by following this one thread of the breath, took me into everything that I needed. And it's become a guide and a teacher and a partner, the breath itself. And uh, so that's my path. And, um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the next adventure because <laughs> they keep coming. Wonderful, wonderful. And, uh, you know, the experience that you shared was truly a transcendent experience, even as a kid of 11 years old, mm -hmm. to have this understanding that you could have literally been born anywhere at any time, almost like a time traveler, so to speak, uh, jumping from one meat bag to the other. Uh, but it's fascinating that you had this question in your mind about who truly am I? And you didn't have the answers from people around you. And recently, a couple of weeks back, I sometimes... I go daydreaming and I was staring at the buildings and I realized that I might be growing old, but the one who is witnessing these thoughts and these, this consciousness and this unfolding, that person is timeless and transcendent. You know, sometimes you have these microsecond realizations that, uh, that I feel grateful for, but uh, what you shared is so profound. And so that sort of took you on this journey. Uh, I've got a quick question in between before we move on to the next, but as you can imagine, our parents play a key role, especially during the formative years of our journey as human beings. So what sort of influence did your parents have on you? I was very blessed, very fortunate um, in two ways with both my mother and my father. Uh, my mother was just, you know, unconditionally loving. Mm. Um just supported me in whatever I ever thought to do, never really shoved anything down my throat, uh, never made me be any certain way, except what she would consider to be good and loving and kind and compassionate, you know, just normal virtues that you would like any child to develop, but nothing specific. She really, and so it was a real sense of freedom and she even verbalized that I was a, in a teenage time and like all teenagers, I was into crazy stuff. And I 
always thought, it's best if I protect my mother from my adventures. She doesn't need to know everything that I'm doing. And what, uh, but when the police get involved, then, you know, your parents are involved. And so I was involved in a big scandal, and I was a hooligan, you know, on many levels. And, and the police, you know, delivered me home in the middle of the night, and it was a kind of a thing. And I didn't know how to talk about what I had just got arrested for. <laughs> I, and she just sat very quietly, and and but I I just still could, and I couldn't talk. And so finally, she said, "Look, Danny, she's one of the few people called me Danny. <laughs> I don't care what you did. I don't care you rob a bank, you killed somebody. I don't care. I love you. You can always come home." That was like permission for me to like go anywhere and do anything. And I could always come home. I knew that love would always be waiting no matter what I became. And that gave me kind of a freedom, I think. And my father was actually my stepfather. My mother divorced uh, when I was three years old. And so the man that I always think of as my father is actually my stepfather. I did have a relationship with my biological father. He was an alcoholic um, and uh, not a good role model. So I'm really happy that my mother <laughs> gave me a better role model <laughs> in terms of a father. And so my father, Joshua, um, uh, was into nature and into music. And he was always in the woods and fishing and hunting and, uh, you know, archery and sports. And he was just a great outdoor nature person. And he was really into music, barbershop quartet music and harmony. He was always singing. He was always humming. And when I turned 18 and I could take my first legal drink, he took me to a bar and I had my first legal beer with my father. <laughs> and he said something really quite beautiful. Um, I, I, had, I told him, I said, Dad, you know, you really never put any pressure on me. The only thing I ever remember you making sure I did was respect my mother. <laughs> Other than that, you've always given me this great freedom. And he said, well, actually, because I never thought that I was your real father and it wasn't my place. And so he had his own interesting reason, but he also gave me a palpable sense of freedom that I could be anything and go anywhere. And I don't know if everybody has that. I think a lot of people are kind of forced to do the family work or to follow some path or to be this, a doctor, a lawyer, whatever. And somehow I escaped all that and I was able to find my own path, which I don't think many people are really blessed to be able to do. They, they wake up in the last few minutes of their life and they realize, oh my God, this isn't why I was here. <laughs> <laughs> and so thank God that moment came to me sooner. You know, why am I here? Who am I? Where did I come from? What? And those big questions in life, uh, my family, my mother and father really allowed me to find my own answers. And that's, I think, a gift that's still, still nourishing me today. Beautiful. I think one of the greatest gifts a parents can give to their children is unconditional love, right? Not, yeah. I don't love you because you got good marks, because you stood first <laughs> in this election, because you did good in drama or you got this. I love mm -hmm. you just because you are. Uh, and I'm sure that might have given you like uh, a dose of energy yeah. to explore these very profound and important questions about life, like who am I? Uh, so 
Moving on to the next question, I'm really fascinated. How did you meet Leonard Orr and sort of get introduced to the mm. rebirthing movement? When, when did that happen? <laughs> yeah. I came out of the military in 1976. I'm a Vietnam-era veteran. I was in from 1970 to 1976. I was a deep-sea diver. I was mixing gases. I was doing underwater rescue. I had the Navy's breath-holding champion uh, record at the time. Uh, I was into breathing, you know, just because of the work I did and free diving and so on. They didn't even call it free diving at the time. We just called it, well, we were doing coral diving, pearl diving, breath holding, you know. Um, and when I got out of the military, I had 10 years of, of veterans benefits, educational benefits. So I decided to live in the university in Massachusetts. And, uh, and everybody knew I was into breathing because you can't be with me for more than five minutes before I bring up the subject, you know? <laughs> and so, um, I was, uh, I had had an awakening uh, experience in Hawaii through Ken Kai's, the handbook to higher consciousness, uh, the living love, uh, way. Uh, he's, he was in, uh, down in Kentucky and then they moved their center to Coos Bay, Oregon. It's still there. The living love center, beautiful teacher, um, and his book, The Handbook High Consciousness, fell on my lap, <laughs> you know, boom, hit me in the face just at the time I was leaving the military and I needed to just vent and decompress and, and, and find my sea legs again after five years in the military. So I took a year off. I was living on the beach uh, in Hawaii and I, and I encountered this book. And it just changed, it, it, it Western, he took all of the Eastern teachings, Ken Kai's took all of the Eastern teachings and he put it into Western language. And I don't know, I just got something from him. And, um, and so then when I, uh, the, my year of uh, retreat after the military was up, I was in Hawaii. I went back to Massachusetts, my home, and I enrolled in University of Massachusetts and I was looking for which courses to take. And I was in the bookstore and I saw this book on the shelf, Handbook to Higher Consciousness. And I thought, oh, my God, they're using this book in a college course? Who is this teacher? I want him. And his name was Milton Young. He taught transpersonal education, human development, and learning. And he became my mentor. And, um, and that year, I met him in the parking lot one morning on the way to class. And he was literally giddy he was like floating he was like woo, woo. and i'm going milt you look a little weird today what happened he says oh i was just rebirth he said it's about breathing you'll probably like it <laughs> and so <laughs> i said yeah what is it he says yeah you breathe in this way and it's like whoa it's fantastic i goes oh i'm in he said okay well i'll tell you what learn it write a paper for me on it and i'll give you six credits and at the time, six credits, that's half of, of, of a full-time semester. Right. And I needed to have 12 credits each semester so I could use up my VA benefits. And I already had six credits without even having to do anything but breathe. And so I was in. Mm. And uh, so I went to his first, I went to this woman named Annabelle Booten. She had very thick glasses, Coca-Cola glasses. She smoked. And, I'm, and she's teaching breathing. I'm thinking, well, this is one weird lady. I wouldn't pay for this, but, yeah. but I'm here to learn. Well, when she finally got me breathing, 
I mean, within the first 15 minutes, all the tension from five years in the military just melted off me in this electrical, vibrational experience. And I felt so clean and so clear and so bright and so free. And so I said, well, wow, who taught you this? She goes, oh, Pam Pepper. I said, all right, give me her number. I'm, I'm going to her. <laughs> so she lived in Boston. I had a session with Pam Pepper, a very similar experience of the rebirthing method. I was double sold. I said, okay, where did you learn this? And she said, oh, Sandra Ray. Mm -hmm. I went and studied with Sandra Ray, and I heard about Leonard Orr, and then I ended up with Leonard Orr. And, uh, and I was with him. He passed away last year, but we were in a constant relationship for 40 years from the day I met him. Uh, he was uh, he was the father of the modern breathwork movement, rebirthing breathwork, and uh, so yeah, that's how I ended up with Leonard through my college mentor professor. <laughs> so I love that story. Your college professor, you saw him, yeah, joyful, blissful, radiant, vibrating, <laughs> and you're like, what did you do, right? Uh, so my question to you is, how does conscious breathing, how does it affect our body? Like, break it down for us. What's happening there? <laughs> Well, when you get a handle on your breath, first of all, you're getting a handle on your consciousness. You're, you're regulating your mind. It's a mindfulness practice. It's a meditative. It, 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 it triggers in us a kind of meditative awareness, you could say. Yeah. And so when we breathe, we're getting a handle on our consciousness and we're getting a handle on our energy. And if, you have a, if you're controlling your consciousness and your energy, you're in a creative position <laughs> you're in a you know you're in you're in the flow of something you have just connected with the two most precious things about us our life force energy and our and our awareness our consciousness and so breathing is a way that we can i can heal my body by using my breath and my mind i can heal my mind by using my breath and my body I can heal my emotions by using my mind and my breath and my body. And so it, I, I discovered that, that the breath is this piece that links the mind and the body and the emotions. And it connects me to the source within myself. It connects me to this ocean around me. We're all sucking off the same bubble of air. It's not just a cliche. It's not just a pretty idea. We're all connected. The breath literally connects us to our source and it connects us to each other. And so it connects my mind to my body. It connects my subconscious mind to my conscious mind. And so it connects the circulation of my blood to the circulation of prana. Mm. It's, it's the key link in the spiritual path and, and in the process of awakening. And it's right under our nose. And so, of course, it's the simplest mm. things are the most powerful. And I don't know why people are so surprised that when you play with your breath, all kinds of things happen. Duh, you're playing <laughs> with spirit. You are in a creative, co-creative relationship with the creator of life. And so, of course, miracles are going to happen. If that's your intention, if you're ready, if you're willing, then miracles are going to happen. So there you go, Action Tribe. We are learning that when you mix your awareness with your uh, breathing, with your body, then a lot of things mm -hmm. can happen. 
because you're literally affecting not just your physiology, you relax your body, mm-hmm. but also like we're going to get into in a bit, you can have these wonderful, mm-hmm. blissful, spiritual experiences. Now, Dan, I'm curious. Yeah, well, because see, the thing right. is that, and one more thing that yeah, yeah. breath work awakens heart intelligence. It's no accident that the lungs are wrapped around the heart. Yeah. And as you're breathing, you're beginning to do something with with your heart energy and mm. and breathing awakens body intelligence you know you embody yourself you breathe down into your belly and you you come fully into your body so breathing awakens body intelligence it awakens heart intelligence and it awakens mind intelligence so that's the key that's that's why it's so powerful absolutely very truly put, once we're able to bring our awareness to actually breathe, you know, using our diaphragm and our belly, uh, something special happens all throughout our body. You can't help but secrete these feel-good, happy chemicals that make us feel <laughs> like, you know, we're in a bliss state, you know, connected and joyous yeah. beyond measure. Uh, uh, yeah. but, but, but Dan, how did you end up learning prana yoga? What's the story like? Well, when I was learning rebirthing, uh, Leonard Orr said that the source of rebirthing was Babaji, Harakan Baba. He's written about an autobiography of a yogi. Uh, He's an immortal yogi, Christ of India. (laughs) Um, He materialized a body in 1980. um, I'm sorry, in 1970 um, in in, uh, Harakan at the foot of Mount Kailash. and so uh, he was the inspiration. He was Leonard's inspiration for rebirthing. He, he felt that Babaji was the source of rebirthing. And if you wanted to get certified, you should need to go to India and, and meet Babaji. It was required for certification. And when I met Babaji, I met my guardian angel. Um, I, I was immediately taken back to that day in kindergarten when the priest had told me about the breath of life and breathing and and the nun said you know we all have a guardian angel somebody who's assigned to you to help you through your life and guide you and so as a little child when i sat down in the cafeteria i left a little place on the side of me for my guardian angel when i was sitting at my desk in class i had a little place on my chair for my guardian angel i mean this was this was a real thing a little kid's imagination. I was, I believed all this stuff, you know, and I was living it. And so the first day I spent with Babaji, he, he came running around. I climb up the stairs to the ashram. We have to hike miles and through the jungle and airplanes and trains and taxis and finally hiking. And, and then you climb up all these 108 <laughs> stairs to the ashram. And I find, I sit down, ah, uh, and Babaji came running out of his room. He came and he sat right on the side of me and he went, and <laughs> something happened. Wow. And uh, there I was sitting in the source, in the presence of the source of yoga. And how can you not become a yogi? I don't know. <laughs> and so, uh, and then I just, uh, you know, traveling through India, reading, studying, breathing down the neck of anybody who knew anything about breathing or kissing the feet of anybody who knew anything about breathing and <laughs> breathing became my yoga. And uh, I, yoga is breathing. Breathing is yoga. And, uh, mm. and it's ancient. It's new in the West. It's like a reawakening. 
right. of ancient science happening in the world right now. It's beautiful. It's powerful. But I'm really blessed and honored to be actually part of a lineage. What, what an amazing blessing, you know? So That's actually fascinating that you shared that because I had once interviewed a yogi uh, some sometime last year, and he mentioned that when a when you have a guru in your life, somebody that deep down you consider somebody that you want to learn from, that person might might either come in person when you're a kid, or might send some message, but you're not ready quite ready at that age. And then when you're ready, the person manifests. So it seems like the same thing happened in your case. Uh, yeah. But yeah, what a what a wonderful story! Thanks a lot for sharing. I did not know this, but I appreciate you sharing this uh, in person with graphic detail. Uh, so, what what influence did India have on you as a person? How how did India shape you as a person after that? Well, um, in the first one of our first meetings, uh, you know, the ashram life is really, <laughs> really. I have very little tolerance for devotees. I mean, there are a lot of gurus and masters that I love, but it's really being around the devotees sometimes very trying for me. I have very little patience. I don't know what it is. Um, but uh, one of the first meetings we had, Babaji would, would had a swing he used to sit on when we would all, all gather around and, and there was, he had a, a fan on the end of a stick and and his devotees who are also oh spiritual and also oh serious and also oh whatever following yeah. all the ashram rules and doing everything right and and doing their rt and doing their prayers and all that karma yoga and then when they saw babaji going towards a swing they literally elbowed each other and <laughs> trampled over each other to right. get to the fan because if they could get to the fan they could stand next to him and fan him and so <laughs> anyway uh, and so we, a group had arrived and uh, Babaji was going around asking questions and he was asking, yeah, what do you do? Where do you come from? What kind of work do you do? And there was a girl, Zuni, who was a rebirther. She was in my group. We traveled to India together. She was so proud of doing God's work, you know. And uh, so he asked her, he said, so what do you do? She said, oh, I do rebirthing. He goes, rebirthing? Stop rebirthing. There are people who are starving. You should be feeding people. There are people who don't have any clothes. You should be giving them clothes. They don't have a place to live. You should be giving them a place to live. Rebirthing. <laughs> it was like, oh, she, she was crushed. She was totally mm. devastated. Mm. And then the next person he turned to was me, and he said, and what do you do? I go, huh? I'm a rebirther. He goes, oh, very good work. You should rebirth him. You should rebirth her. You should rebirth him. And so, um, and and so I don't know. It was part of I I I got caught in his leela in his game, and yeah. um, and sometimes he'd come out of his room and he looked like a woman. Sometimes he was like a child. Sometimes he was like a woman. You never knew who you were going to be with that day. He was just this unbelievable presence. You couldn't wrap your mind around him. Yeah. And then one day he tapped me in the belly. Uh, Leonard Orr, who he had given the name Makan Singh. Uh, Babaji gave me the name uh, Gucharam Singh. Mm. And uh, so anyway, hey, Makan Singh is on his way. I said, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he just knew that Leonard was coming. So he said, go meet him. And he tapped me on the belly with the back of his hand. He tapped me on the belly. Mm. And when he tapped me on the belly, I felt this slow motion 
lightning. I don't know. How to, and instead of a flash of lightning, it was kind of a, a gradual strike of lightning. I, I don't even know how to talk about it, but it started in my Dan Chen. It started where he tapped me. It spread like tentacles, like electrical tentacles to my whole body right. until I was buzzing and tingling. I could bit, I was like floating and I started to run through the jungle to meet uh, Leonard Orr. And along the way, I was having these visions. I felt I had so much power. I had so much energy. And I started like a child thinking, when I meet him on the path, I think I'm going to pick him up and I'm going to carry him back to the ashram. <laughs> and so, you know, just like imagining fantasy thing. Well, when I met him on the path, he had a group of four or five people. And one of them was this woman, Vera, from Michigan in the United States. And she had this arthritic condition and, and she couldn't walk anymore. She was just sitting there and they were all sitting around wondering what to do because she just couldn't walk anymore. And I just, I was already running. I had been running the whole time. I just circled around the rock running. I picked her up and I started running back to the ashram. It was just wow. like this perfect synchronicity thing of my fantasy, what needed to happen and my mission and my purpose in that moment. And so I realized I have to, Babaji taught me that we need to tune into the energy of the moment. Oh. And if we can get, get around our thoughts and get around our plans and get around our intentions and, and have this practice of opening to the energy of the moment so that we're available for who we need to be in the moment and what needs to happen and where we need to go and what decisions we need to make. Yeah. And so Babaji taught me that I don't have to worry about that stuff. I don't need to worry about knowing what I'll do if, and we waste a lot of energy by trying to know things before we need to know them. And now I know that if I don't know something, it's because I don't need to know it. But if I do need to know it, I will know it in that moment. I don't have to worry about that anymore. And so it, it was a liberating experience that, that at once gave me this tremendous power and freedom. And at the same time, this ability to just go, ah, nothing to do anyway you know we can yeah. just enjoy and flow and love life and things will work out perfectly <laughs> there you go action tribe things will work out perfectly if you're able to you know press pause and be in the present moment and speaking of being in the moment what is the significance of holding your breath because you've written about that hmm. in your wonderful book yeah just breathe yeah. um but what does it do for you, holding your breath? Well, you know, there's two kinds of breath holding. There's very conscious, intentional breath holding. And I wouldn't call it holding. I would call it an open pause. Okay. I practice a lot of breath holding. Well, what a lot of people do is that when they hold their breath, <laughs> they lock up their system. That's a okay. different thing then if you're, the breath is paused and it's an open pause, there's no forces pushing and pulling on you. You're not doing anything. You're not controlling, trying to control everything. I mean, I tell people, if you've got to be honest, your average yogi is a control freak. They want to control every joint, every muscle, every organ. They want to control the stars. They want to control their destiny. They want to, they want to control their breath. They want to control everything. They're control freaks, you know? Right. And, um, so, but this, this ability or this willingness, um, let's say, to be guided by something um, is, is much more important than the doing. I, I, I'm sorry, I went off your question. You want to repeat it again? 
Oh no, along the same lines, my only question was, what is the significance of ah uh, breath holding? Yes, yeah. thank you. Well, if I'm trying to remember something, I without even thinking, I unconsciously hold my breath. It creates a moment of stillness and silence where maybe I can hear something or see something, mm -hmm. but as the breath is moving and. Uh, you know, so we, we intuitively or unconsciously hold our breath in different moments. That mm -hmm. could be useful, it could not be, right? So chronic breath holding is a really serious physiological, emotional, psychological problem. You know, unconscious, repeated breath holding. That's, if there's good and bad, that's bad, <laughs> right? Um, but when you consciously pause the breath, um, you, you sink into a certain stillness, a certain silence, a certain spaciousness, especially if you're relaxed while the breath is paused. And that's the thing about if I'm holding my breath and I'm fighting off the feelings and I'm fighting, I'm not relaxed. I'm not, I, maybe it's useful. I don't know. But the combination of the pause and the breath, bright awareness and relaxation, that opens up opens us up to a space and you know you can hold your breath in when it's full you can hold your breath in when it's empty you can hold your breath in halfway mm -hmm. um and so hey breath holding is a science and um it's well worth experimenting with but before i would practice breath holding i would practice surrendering to the flow of breath first I would surrender to the breath before I start trying to control it, manipulate it, and manage it. I would get to know it. I would become intimately involved, intimately related before I start to manipulate and control and direct. It's like a relationship. On a first date, you don't make the person start doing tricks no. for you and you don't make them do stuff. And so when we start our relationship with the breath, why would you start that way? Making yourself hold it, making yourself push it and pull it. No, you get to know it. You develop a, a relationship to it. And then together, the breath begins to move through you and act through you. And it begins to guide you. And um, so breath holding is a big part of breath work practice, not in the early stages, uh, because in the early stages, do you want the breath to be in charge? You don't want to be in charge of something that knows more than you, that's mm -hmm. bigger than you and more powerful than you. You want to surrender to that. And then you want to play with it. Then you want to dance with it. And then you want to begin to direct and control it in a, in a kind of cooperative way, let's say. So I conspire with the breath to breathe. And I allow the breath to breathe me. I breathe the breath. I go back and forth between those two and something comes together in me. And that's breath work. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, obviously, you've worked with Tony Robbins. You've uh, worked mm-hmm. on sessions uh, of breath work with him, and he's written uh, extensively about you, about the fact that you are committed to mastery and you are a ma- master in this space. But my question is, how did you meet Tony Robbins? Uh, when and, and, and how did that yeah. miraculous interaction happen? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I literally physically bumped into him Oh. At a, a whole a whole health festival or spirit mind body festival, I think what that was called back in 1980 okay. in Boston, at the uh, Pl- uh, Park Plaza Hotel. I think it was called the Whole Earth Festival or the Mind Body Spirit Festival. One of those. He had a booth. He was doing his fire walking. I had a booth. I had my rebirthing booth, and um, I saw him uh, walking. You know, he's very tall. And the first thing I noticed, he had really huge feet. Yep. The guy has gigantic big feet, right? <laughs> and so I happened to be looking down at his feet. And Tony Robbins at the time, and still, he's somebody who was looking ahead at the future. Yep. I mean, his head was held high. It looked like he was looking off into the future. <laughs> <laughs> and I was looking down at his feet, and we literally bumped into each other. Okay. <laughs> and that's how I first met him. <laughs> mm. And then I saw that he had his firewalk outside on the sidewalk in downtown Boston. There was about 150 people. I didn't do his seminar. I just jumped in the line. I snuck in. <laughs> I jumped in the line, and I walked on fire with him. Yeah. And then... Uh, and then many years, and then I did his, you know, I bought his cassette program, Unlimited Power, and, you know, all of his stuff. I just read his things. I love his work. Um, and then a few years ago, I was with my friend Mark Devine at the Seal Fit Training Center, and, um, and I met his son, Jarek. Mm. Uh, he was training with Mark Devine, and he got, we got introduced. And... Um, and so I met Jarek first, and at the time I was a representative for the O2 chair. Uh, it was a like a breathing chair. We introduced it at the uh, uh, that big tech the big tech conference in Las Vegas, and so I was like a spokesperson for that. And I and he had heard about that breathing chair, ten thousand dollars, and you get this chair and it moves you and it. You get a voice you can listen to. It tells you when to breathe in and stuff. And he said, hey, my dad loves these big toys and stuff. I want to get him one for Christmas. So that's how I met Jarek. And so a few days later, I got a call from Tony. And, uh, you know, it was one of those moments where, you know, I pick up my phone. 
Yeah, hello. He goes, hey, this is Dan. I go, yeah, this is Tony Robbins. I go, come on, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> who is this? Is this Bob? Is this Bill? Come on, who is this? Yeah. Come on, Tony Robbins, right. He goes, no, this is Tony. I said, well, shit, I am thrilled to like talk to you, Tony. Mm. And he says, yeah, you know, I heard, I've heard about you. I, you've been doing something for 40 years. I want to pick your brain. I know breathing is important. Can we get together? Can we meet? And and we've been friends ever since. Yeah. Wow. What a story. One thing led to the other. And I used to listen to Tony Robbins tapes a lot. And he always is like, you know, if you want to get good at something, find who's doing it the best. Find the master and pick his or her brains. And uh, don't try to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> he practices so, what he preaches. That's one it. thing I love about him. He's a, he practices what he preaches. He walks right. his talk. He's 100% on or not at all. Wow. And, um, and, so, and if he learns something, right. he has to teach it to somebody else immediately. And he literally did that. I mean, I was working at his house in West Palm Beach. We played with this little uh, diaphragmatic breathing thing. Out and as soon as he got it, he called in his personal assistant and made her lay down and learn it. It's like he cannot keep valuable information to himself. He, he's a saint in a suit. He's, uh, and you and 50 million other people have been affected by his work. And, uh, sure, that's, sure. that's extraordinary. I, yeah. I love serving people like that because yeah. he's already into breathing. He's very conscious. He's done a lot of work on himself. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I breathe with somebody like that, a little adjustment, you can parlay that into a huge advantage. And so I, I love working with him and people like him who really they're making a difference in the world and we need mm -hmm. to be serving those people <laughs> yeah and and speaking about little adjustment i just wanted to mention that you've been like a huge influence in my life as well i remember through the interviews that we did like if you remember it was not video last time it was audio and i could hear you breathing yes. deeply in and out and, in, and i was wondering uh so this guest is not just speaking but really living the breathing <laughs> And that sort of sank deep in my subconscious mind. And I was like, I'm going to do breath work and pursue it at a deeper level someday. But thanks a lot for, you know, placing that seed <laughs> in my life. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, Dan, uh, uh, Tony, in, in, in the forward uh, that he wrote for your book over here, he writes that 70% of the toxins inside our bodies are removed through our lungs. Uh, and you write extensively about how our how breathwork can help remove these harmful toxins, right, that get collected throughout the day mm -hmm. in our bodies. And I think people listening to this episode also deep down can feel the presence of uh, certain toxins that uh, need to be cleared from their aura, from their bodies. So uh, firstly, if you can give us an overview of what are some of these toxins that we attract into our body and then how can mm -hmm. breathwork help us clear them out or cleanse them out, so to speak. Yeah. Well, in the first place, the energy in the breath, the prana, the spirit, the chi, the ki, whatever you want to call it, that energy is more powerful than any of the pollutants or toxins that we might breathe in. I mean, I think first we have to be really grounded in certainty, in certainty about that, that this energy, this life force that I am appropriating when I breathe, it's... It's stronger than any of the, the toxins or pollutants. So we don't have to be afraid about breathing. Um, I 
Hmm. I mean, something happens when we tune into our breath, when we let go of the surface, when we let go of the circumference, when we drop down, hmm. when we move toward our center. So I use my exhale to drop down into that center in me. And then when I breathe in, I invite some of that energy from my source to come up to the surface and come out and express. Hmm. So um, using the breath to connect to our spirit um, and beyond that, what is there to do? What is there to know? Who do you need? What's the problem? <laughs> and so if we can accomplish that, we've done all we need to do. Right. And there are many ways to play with your breath so that you kind of, you get it, you catch it. And once people catch it, then they don't need me anymore. They don't need you. They don't need any books. Mm -hmm. Then everything is just like frosting on the cake. Then everything is just helping. You don't need it. You like it. You enjoy it. You mm -hmm. want it, but you don't need it because now you know you've got everything you need. And when we connect to our breath, we connect to infinite intelligence, infinite manifestation, you know, infinite being. And if you are connected to that, mm. what, what more do we need? <laughs> what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, we were both zoned into a space. I've forgotten the question. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, but yeah, so <laughs> my question was just about uh, the, the toxins part of it, but you said that. Ah, thank you. Yeah, the, well, yeah. if we, when we, if you, first of all, relaxation is really important. We have toxins trapped in our system. I've done breathing sessions with people who had surgery 20 years before, and when they were breathing, you could smell the anesthesia, right. literally smell the anesthesia. And so there are toxins locked in our body and movement and stretching and breathing frees up all that stuff. Hmm. And so uh, breath work is a detoxing practice, really, right? It's energizing, it's relaxing, and it's detoxing. And then there's more, let's call them emotional pollution. Leonard Orr talked a lot about emotional energy pollution. Mm. And how we're always picking up other people's energy. I'm yep. picking up your thoughts, your feelings, your fears, your pain, your illnesses, your, your aspirations. We're all connected. And so we're, we're catching this stuff from each other. We're absorbing other people's energy. And so we need a process to clean and balance our energy body in the same way that every day you take a shower, you take a bath, you nourish your physical body with food. Yep. Every day you have to breathe to clean and balance and nourish your energy body and keep right. it pure and 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 throw off all of this energy that we're absorbing. You know, I go out in the world and I pick up all the dirt and the dust out in the world. I come home, I take a shower. Yeah. I go out in the world, I pick up all the emotional energy and the fears and the thoughts of other people. I come home, I breathe and I take a shower. Yeah. And so it's a real thing. And we need to be using breath work to keep ourselves clean and mm -hmm. on an emotional level, on an energetic level, and on the level of just pure, you know, physical toxins. And breath work is a powerful way to do that cleaning. 
Wonderful. I love that. So, Action Tribe, it's about time to take a breathing shower, a breathe bath, so to speak. Uh, but Dan, moving from one personality like Tony Robbins to Wim Hof, how are people like Wim Hof able to use their breath along with other techniques to withstand extreme cold, ice baths, yeah. and heat, and even bacteria to boost their immunity and really yeah. protect themselves? What's happening inside the body? Yeah. Yeah, well, um, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a biohacker. He's yep. an extreme athlete. Um, you know, you bury him in ice for two hours and he raises his core temperature one degree, inject him with endotoxins. He has no immune reaction, no <laughs> symptoms, and he can teach anybody else to do that. Anybody can learn to do that. Um, but, you know, what's required? Mindset. <laughs> you got to believe you can do this stuff. As he yeah. says, man, you got to believe you can do this shit. And yeah. you do. If you if you don't believe you can do it, don't bother doing it. You know, you've got to be certain that you really have this ability, and that helps awaken the ability. When you have faith in your own ability, and you really yeah. believe that you can heal yourself, that you yeah. can overcome these stuff, because we can. So that powerful mindset is the first piece. The second piece is breathing for him. And the third piece for him in Wim Hof's method is the gradual exposure to cold. And then what do you do? You just keep going in there further and further and further and see what limits you can overcome. Um, you know, he's a wild man. He's, you know, rah, rah, breathe, motherfucker. Rah. <laughs> and he's a little too, too much for some people. Yeah. He, you know, the fitness crowd and the peak performance yeah. guys and the, they're really into him. Right. But the subtler, gentler women and other softer, they kind of go, yeah, this is a little too whatever for me. And, you yeah. know, um, but it, it's one example of breath work and the power of breath work, combining breath work with consciousness and intention and, you know, movement and body oriented practices, stretching mm -hmm. while you're in cold weather, uh, cold water, you know, relaxing into the cold. And, uh, and his method is ancient. It's not new. It's hyperventilation, breath holding. Hyperventilation, breath holding. He doesn't call it hyperventilation, but it is. Mm. And so when you hyperventilate, you produce a whole package of feelings and sensations and emotions and reactions in your body. And if you can relax into them, if you can breathe and be with them, you heal something. You grow. When you hold your breath... You, you create another different package of feelings and sensations and reactions in the body. And if you can relax into those, you heal something, you grow. So his method is ancient no-brainer. Hyperventilate, breath hold. Hyperventilate, breath hold. And just practice getting comfortable with those extremes. And in the process of that, you're going to open and expand your human potential. It's guaranteed. You don't need a teacher. He's got a great method. But there are a thousand Wim Hofs out there that well, people will never hear about. And, the, and, their, and their exercise, their techniques are just as powerful. And, and so, hey, we find our own way by, by connecting with as many other people as possible, putting together things from different schools and creating your own unique path. And Wim Hof's technique is definitely worth learning, practicing, and mastering. I love the guy. Yeah. Wonderful. The cold exposure has definitely helped me. I mean, I do my morning cold showers 
that he speaks about and is wonderfully articulated in your book as well. I spent about a minute or so in the cold. I want to, and I feel this urge, this need to push beyond my comfort zone. I want to find a place where I can do this ice bath. But whenever I get a chance in the river, maybe I go into the water. <laughs> it's just so freeing. And once you come out of the cold, it's so liberating. Right? It's like, it's like yeah. a full body orgasm, so to speak. You're vibrating, you're at higher yeah. frequency. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're alive. You're, you're, you're giving your body a shock. Yeah. So all your resources turn on at the same time and you feel so alive. It's a yeah. great training. And it's like firewalking too. You know, it's like it the is, opposite yeah. of firewalking, right? You're, it's one of those extreme elements of nature. And the more comfortable we get with the extreme elements of nature, the more human, the more we powerful we become. And Very most true. people, they hide from those extremes. Yeah. You know, they don't want it too warm. They don't want it too cold. And their so comfort true. zone gets more and more narrow. We've yeah. we got to be expanding our comfort zone if you want to grow and stay healthy. Expand your comfort zone to grow and be healthy and to connect with nature. We're exploring some really awesome themes in today's episode. Uh, now, Dan, I get messages from time to time from people who've done breath work with me and they feel energized and they feel blissed out after that like you've sort of alluded to yesterday somebody told me that the breath work is helping her slowly let go of smoking and i know that you write about yeah. alleviation of anxiety symptoms from addiction as well so how does breath work help with overcoming addictions what's happening in there hey well smoking is a substitute for inner fire when you when you you know we we some deep part of us wants that fire because it's an element of our nature and we're just we're just going at it in a in a in not probably the best way and when you smoke you can see the breath you can feel the breath you consciously inhale you consciously exhale it's an excuse to practice breath work just That's skip true. the cigarette and just Play with your breath, see it, feel it, uh, and invite that, that inner fire to awaken, and it will. And, and, you know, when you, all addictions are about reactions, right? And so I have an urge to smoke, and, and I can't smoke because my smoke break isn't for 10 minutes, but it's going to be distracting me until I get my break, and then I'm going to go outside for my smoke break, right? Yeah. So what happens? I want to smoke. The feelings start to build up inside of me, and they're uncomfortable feelings, really. Yeah. Um, and, and we don't want to feel them. Smoking is a way to suppress feelings. And so mm. when those feelings start to come up again, we want a cigarette to send those feelings back in. So if you could just sit with those feelings, let them come up, let them come up, tolerate those uncomfortable feelings until they pass, and don't do anything to make them go away. Um, and so... Addictions are like that. And so what we do is we use breathing to be with our feelings until the power of them kind of, we, they lose the power over us. We tolerate the feeling. We navigate the feeling with the breath until we've, we've gotten past the crisis. And so everybody's addicted to something, you know. Yeah, um, and right. so whatever pushes you, whatever pulls you, Whatever calls you to say, this isn't really who I am and how I want to be, you know, nature is calling you. So, okay, well, change it. Do something. And so mm -hmm. breathe instead and use your breath to manage those feelings. 
So the feelings when I want to smoke, they get stronger and stronger and stronger. Then I smoke and the feelings go back down. And that just keeps happening forever until yeah. I either die of lung cancer or I quit, you know? <laughs> and so if you quit, you're going to force yourself to deal with all those feelings that smoking has been helping you to suppress. And then all you need is a method and a strategy for dealing and navigating those feelings. And breath work is a perfect way to navigate and tolerate and overcome and master those feelings that push and pull and drive you. So breath work is a great intervention, prevention, intervention, and recovery tool for addiction. And I've used breath work in all of those fields. I've used it for addiction prevention, for addiction intervention, for cure, for treatment, and for recovery. And you can apply it anywhere in that spectrum of the of addiction population. Thanks a lot for sharing. I think that's really, really useful. So Action Tribe, it's a good opportunity to look into your own life and try to understand what you might be addicted to. Because like Dan mentioned, we're all addicted to something or the other. I, for one, I need to limit my usage of Facebook. Uh, because, you know, all these social media companies, right, they literally pay neuroscientists to keep you hooked. So that's another form of addiction. You can be addicted to sugar or food or, you know, all these various types. So it's an invitation to think about how you can use your breath to work on the feelings that you might be trying to suppress. Now, Dan, you mentioned a while back that you engage in these practices to sort of connect with nature and experience a more liberated version of being a human being. So my question is, in addition to breath work, what other practices do you engage in to really tap into that bliss and flow? Or, because you write about so many in your book, but anything? Yeah, no, I, I'm really a purist when it comes to breath. I mean, I, uh, I don't do anything else. <laughs> I'm going to make this work. Mm -hmm. regardless of what I eat, regardless of anything else I do, what I know, I, my mission is to take the power and the potential of breath work toward whatever the maximum is. Mm -hmm. And if I put in too many other things and then I get a benefit, I won't know. Did the benefit come from the breathing or did it come from my exercise or the food I eat or whatever? And I don't want to have to do that. If, when I'm alive at 105 and I'm thriving, I want people to know it's not because I exercise, it's not because I ate right, it's not because I did this, it's because I mastered my breath. Mm -hmm. And um, that has to be enough for me. But I live here in nature. And so when I'm breathing, I'm breathing in the sounds of the birds. Mm -hmm. I'm breathing in the, the desert fragrances, night blooming jasmine. If I'm looking at a sunrise, I'm breathing in the sun. If I'm listening to somebody, I'm breathing in what they're telling me. If I'm touching something, I'm breathing in what I'm feeling. Uh, I bring my breath. I try to bring my breath into absolutely everything I do and everything that happens. Mm -hmm. and, um, and every time I have a thought, I hope it reminds me to breathe. Every time I see a bird fly by, I hope it reminds me to breathe. Every time a, a weird feeling occurs in my body, I hope it reminds me to breathe. And by breathe, I mean awaken let go and and take charge and you know come into life fully in the moment yeah. beautiful beautiful uh now diving into breath work um, i think it's under the spiritual breathing techniques that you mentioned in your book but you encourage 
your readers to squeeze their premium, right? The Moola Banda uh, mm -hmm. to enhance yep. the effects of breathwork. So I just wanted to know uh, what does that do for you? How, you know, how does that? Yeah. You know, we have in, in traditional yoga, we have this concept of bandhis, these energetic locks and so on. And, uh, and we have a little diaphragm down there over our perineum. We've got a big diaphragm. And then we have another diaph energetic diaphragm in our throat, the big one in our, in our torso, and then that little one down in the perineal area. And so when we breathe and we pull up on the perineum and we pull in on the belly button, we're creating some very powerful forces down there. And uh, so when we breathe, we want to be playing with those forces and we want to start to invite energy to rise up right okay. from within us. And so we use the breath. We're pulling up on the perineum. We're drawing the breath up through. Hopefully it comes all the way up and the fountains showers down around us like a fountain. Mm. But that's one area. I, as we play with breath work, we have, a, we have different places called bands of tension. So we have these bands of tension in different places in our body. And one of those bands of tension is down around the pelvis, the, the, the belly area, you know, sexual organs. Um, and and that's, a, that's, a, that's a high energy place, right? The, yeah. Our lower chakras, the first, second, and third chakras down there. And so we want to be activating and, and waking those up and cleaning and clearing and, and coming into them and sensing them. And so, yeah, we're starting to use the breath and use the body to start to do things with our energy. And, um, and so those, all those traditional techniques in yoga, they make a lot of sense. When, and they can be tweaked and adjusted. Uh, and they can be thought of in, in some really, say, modern ways, you know. But it's, um, it's energy work, right? When you're, when you're doing breath work, you're doing energy work. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, when I do these sessions with people or even on my own, after a few rounds, sometimes I might see colors, especially a deep purple in the area of my third eye, and I feel deeply relaxed and connected. So is there a connection between DMT and breath work? Is, is the breath work and the breath holding somehow secreting DMT that is helping us achieve these altered states of consciousness? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I'm sure of it. Uh, you know, breath work is like ayahuasca without the drug. It's like LSD without the drug. It's like opium without the drug. You know, it's like we have all these, our body manufactures all this stuff. We just have to turn on the intelligence of the body and we don't need these external substances. And so, um, yeah, our brain can manufacture whatever chemicals are required for the moment <laughs> and uh, we should be putting more attention and research into that ability and less attention and research into manufacturing synthetic chemicals that really just mimic what our body can already produce let's mm. let's you know let's instead of spending billions of dollars on pharmaceutical research let's set the world loose let's set a few billion dollars loose on people who want to practice developing inner resources, you know? Um, sure. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, the drug ecstasy and cocaine and pain-killing drugs, antidepressant drugs. Our body is capable of manufacturing those drugs if they need it. And we can transcend all those conditions if we really want to. And so um, it's, it's recreational. I think, you know, 
marijuana, LSD, mushrooms, ayahuasca, all that kind of stuff. It's recreational. It's not required. But for some people, right. it turns something on in them. And then they, it sets them on a path to, okay, now I know that there's such a state. Now I know that there's such an experience. Now, how can I naturally get to that experience? So I'm not against those drugs. I probably, I certainly did more than my share yeah. of LSD and psychedelics and stuff and mushrooms and everything. Yeah. So I'm not against that, but it's, it's fun. It's useful. It's not necessary. Could be interesting. Uh, I love, I love the, what you shared. So it's like a frame of reference. You now know where it is now. How about finding a way to go to that same place more naturally using the chemicals with that on our own body without any side effects. Yeah. And we know it. I, I mean, I don't know how to manufacture chemicals in my brain. I'll admit it. I don't know how to keep my heart beating. I don't know how to digest my food, but some part of me knows that there's an intelligence in me that's taking care of that. And if I can connect with that intelligence and cooperate with that intelligence, and me and life, me and nature can do a lot together. <laughs> and I think that's the vision, right? If we are able to cohabitate and live with nature, get closer to nature, then like the entire industry would transform. We would be more, you know, empathic in our creation of these products that tend to be corrosive and, and, and bad for our rainforests, our oceans mm -hmm. and things like that. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's one of the gifts of, of breath work. You cannot practice breath work for any amount of time without starting to feel your connection to the earth, to the oceans, to the rivers, to the stars, to the air. And so you become a natural environmentalist. You become a natural ecologist. And um, because well, the breath awakens those things in us. So it's, it's the tool of our day. And right now, breath work, even from the last time we talked two years ago, yeah. you know, OJ, I bet you 300 books have been written on breathing since yeah. you and I talked two years ago. It's exploding 100%. in the world. Yeah. And so uh, if people aren't on the bandwagon yet, well, they better get their butt moving because uh, <laughs> it is, it's the Swiss army knife of life, you know? Mm -hmm. It's meditation for people who can't meditate. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, our, it's our connection to our own inner healing power, our, our inner healer, our mm -hmm. inner guru, our higher self. And so, and all we have to do is practice. I mean, mm -hmm. and if the practice feels good, if you feel buzzing and tingling and joyful and bright, you don't need discipline. You want to practice more. And yeah. so you do. And you grow more. So Dan, what, what do you feel is the future of breathwork? Like what fields do you feel it reaching in the mm -hmm. near future? Any, you know, as a former expert in breathwork who's been doing it for so many decades, where do you see it going? I see more and more styles, more and more schools, more and more methods, more and more approaches. I see that science going deeper and deeper, wearable technologies to moment to moment monitor breath and monitor physiological parameters while you're breathing, that's going to accelerate all of our learning. Um, and I see these ancient spiritual practices being uh, modified or, or re 
tuned to fit our day, our time, this point in history. Uh, I see breathwork making its way into the mainstream medical world everywhere. It's already in the fitness world, in the elite performance world, in the Olympic athlete world. It's in the psychotherapy world. It's in the bodywork world. It's going to totally permeate the planet. People are going to get more and more conscious of their breathing. They're going to be able to handle pain by themselves. They can charge themselves if they get tired. They can relax themselves if they get tense. It's going to become a natural therapeutic practice that's going to be widely taught under a lot of different names. There's going to be a lot of conflict because people are religious about everything, yeah. about yeah. diets. You know, people are so religious about <laughs> different nutritional things. And right. people are going to be religious about, oh, our way is the right way and this way mm. is better. And nah, that, that's sibling rivalry. We're going to grow out of that. Mm. Um, but I see, I see the breath being the thing that really connects us. In these days of social distancing, um, it's yeah. calling us to learn how to connect on deeper levels. And I yeah. think the breath is going to be part of that. May, allowing people to connect more deeply, you know. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a, a real force for bringing people together. It's an excuse. When we breathe together, we start to think alike. We start to love each other. We begin to respect and admire each other more. And so I see breath work uh, becoming the new yoga, more popular than yoga in the next few years. And you're going to have people on every end of the spectrum on the purely scientific, yeah. chemical, biological. And you're going to see people on the other end. It's like just a woo, spiritual, who cares if you can prove it or not, you know, yeah. mystical. <laughs> and, and it's going to bring those two people together who yes. seem to be totally opposed. They're going to find out that they're actually quite on the same page. <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful. So Action Tribe, especially in this era or this phase where everyone's having to wear a mask, uh, not everyone knows this, but there's an opportunity to learn breathwork fundamentals from Dan Brule himself through an online course. And because travel, for the most part, is on freeze right now, it makes for a perfect opportunity to sit at home and just breathe. So Dan, I thought of just recording some questions for those who would like to learn more about the course. Uh, so that mm -hmm. they can make an informed decision. Is that all right? Yeah, thank you. Cool, cool, cool. So maybe uh, uh, the first question is, what made you create this uh, this program, the Breath Mastery? Yeah. Well, like many things in my personal life, a lot of beautiful things happen by themselves. I was in Australia a couple of years ago. My Australian team of organizers, they hired a video crew, came in, they recorded like a hundred hours of my seminars and talks and trainings all around Australia. Then they went through, they cut out little clips, they edited it. We created a manual to go with it. And we launched this course called O2 Fundamentals. So people paid four or $5,000 for that training I did in Australia. And now they get the benefit for, through the videos and the manual and the transcripts. Uh, that they can get that same course online sitting at home. So uh, it's, I, I'm really grateful to my, my team in Australia who, who took all the content and, and, and shaped and formed it. And, um, and so, yeah, I invite people. It's, you, it's a self-paced thing. You go at your own pace. 
We have a Facebook group where you can chat with other people taking the course, post questions, uh, meet uh, like-minded people. Uh, yeah, it's called our O2 Fundamentals course, and it's built on this O2 Collective platform, which is my Australian uh, partner uh, breathing program there. Wonderful. Now, I know it's online, but what can somebody mm -hmm. expect to learn after enrolling? I mean, maybe some highlights or something? <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I basically tried to compress 40 years of study and practice into, you know, into a short course, which, you know, touches on all the main points. And it's, it's about the fundamentals of breath work, because I'm big on fundamentals. Even the greatest violinist in the world practices the scales before they perform. And so returning to the basics, I think, is one of the keys to excellence, to mastery. And so that's what you're going to have is a really good handle on the fundamentals of breathwork. And there are a few of them. And you learn them and you put them together in your own way mm -hmm. to, to suit your path, your style, your needs. But you'll have a good grasp of the fundamentals of breathwork that you can then put together and, and build on. And we also, we have an advanced part of that course. So there's the basic and the advanced where we go into some very cool stuff, shamanic breath work uh, and different uh, advanced breath work practices. So it gives you a taste of the advanced stuff. It gives you a good, broad foundation for, for building your own practice, whether you're a beginner or you already have graduated several schools of breathing. You will definitely... Uh, you'll have different exercises, different ideas, different approaches, uh, and you'll be able to deepen your practice, broaden your practice. And if you're new, we're going to shorten your learning curve. You'll go really far, really fast, because why reinvent the wheel? Some of us have been doing this forever. Mm -hmm. And so anything I can do to help people learn faster, that's what this course is about. And to make sure that you don't have any bad habits to begin with. Because if you, when I learned how to play the guitar, I taught myself. And then when I went to try to take guitar lessons, I learned that I, I was holding the guitar completely wrong. And I had to change the way I was holding the guitar. And it was so uncomfortable, I didn't take guitar lessons because I couldn't, I couldn't have fun anymore. Mm. And so I wanted to make sure that if you're going to practice breath work, you don't develop any bad habits that are going to hold you back a year from now, or you're going to have to unlearn before you can go further at some point. So that's my, my mission with this course, to give you as much as I can from all of my years to sort of crunch it down to main important points and, uh, and speed up your learning curve. That's it. Well, thanks, for, thanks for sharing. Now, as you shared this, I can imagine some people saying, Dan, that sounds amazing, and I do want to learn from you. But I don't have the time. You see, I'm doing a nine to five. I've got kids. I've got other stuff going on. So what's like the time commitment for this course? <laughs> uh, the, I think the longest video might be three or four minutes, maybe five minutes. I should check. So we're not talking about a lot of time. Uh, the manual, you know, it's like it's sort of a transcript of what of what's on the videos. You can read that anywhere. It's an audio file. You can listen while you're driving. Uh, you can download a lesson, watch it whenever you want. Uh, there's no excuse. If 
you, I do in the course, I tell people my practice formula is 10 plus 10 plus 10 times two. You got to practice 10 minutes in the morning. You got to practice 10 minutes at night. And if you really want to master it, you got to practice 10 times during the day for two minutes. That's a serious practice. And for people who can't imagine that, then five minutes, three times a day. And if you can't manage five minutes, three times a day, you're not interested. Don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So uh, thanks a lot for sharing about this course, Action Tribe. If you are fascinated, you loved the interview, and you love Dan's voice and his, uh, his aura and his way of breathing, and you want to learn from him, this is an opportunity. Go to my7chakras.com forward slash breathe with Dan. That's my7 oh. is a word, my7chakras.com forward slash breathe with Dan, and you'll be able to enroll. Uh, Dan, thank you so much. Action Tribe, I hope you enjoyed today's session. The truth is that our breath is both voluntary and involuntary. If we let our surroundings determine how we breathe, then we might feel like things are out of our control because a lot of things are out of our control. But the beauty about being human is that we're able to voluntarily take control of our breathing and really breathe consciously. And when we do so, we can optimize our life and we can literally live longer. Because just as it is written in the ancient texts of yoga, Hatha Yoga Pradipika, it says, when the breath wanders, the mind also is unsteady. But when the breath is calmed, the mind too will be still and the yogi achieves long life. Therefore, one should learn to control the breath. And with that being said, we are at the very last round for today, the wisdom round, so that our listeners can take note and take action. So Dan, it's been two years since we did this interview, but uh, based on today, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Just begin to notice your breath. Just take Take a moment and just, how does it feel to breathe? How do you know you're breathing? What, what, how do you breathe? What moves? What are the feelings? What are the sensations? What are the internal sounds? Just begin to pay attention to your breath. As a practice in the morning when you wake up, just to, you don't have to breathe in any special way. Just start to pay more attention to your breathing when you're stuck in traffic, when you're uncomfortable, when you're having an orgasm, when you're washing dishes. Just develop the habit of tuning into your breath and your breath will meet you. Your breath will begin to guide you. If you could turn back time and spend one hour with someone who's living or dead, who would it be? Nelson Mandela. I, I just wanted to meet that man so much my whole life. How can a guy be in prison for 25 years and have no resentment, no animosity, no anger? No negative feelings towards his captors, his prisoners. That, that's a lesson we all need to learn. What a beautiful man. Um, I wish I could have breathed with him, yeah. <laughs> so the quote in my la very last episode was about Nelson Mandela itself. Uh, the beauty of life <laughs> is in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. So it's like a synchronicity <laughs> over here. Uh, but yeah, so, so profound. Um, what is it one thing you do in the morning or in the evening before sleeping that has improved the quality of your life? Um, I wake up, mm -hmm. I let go, and I breathe. So as soon as I'm conscious, I become conscious that I'm conscious. <laughs> And then I direct my consciousness to my breath. 
and I physically relax and I open. And then I do whatever's next. Maybe I'll play with my breath. Maybe I begin to want to stretch and move. Maybe I want to sing. Maybe I want to run. Maybe I want to make love. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But from there on in, I'm in the flow. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> Wonderful. And what is that one book you'd like to recommend to all of our listeners today? You know, actually, um, a recent book I, I, I read... Um, uh, well, I read three books recently. One is Caesar's Last Breath, which is just brilliant. What a great writer. Um, James Nestor's book, The Lost Art of Breathing, or, or Bre Breathing, the, the, the Lost Science. I forget the subtitle, but James Nestor's book, Breathe. And one of my students, uh, Richie Bostock, the breath guy, just wrote a book called Exhale. It's freaking brilliant. Um so those those three books just in the last week have gotten my attention. Wonderful. So we'll have all these links up in the show notes. And especially Action Tribe, if you would like to get Dan's amazing book, Just Breathe. It's a compendium. It's an encyclopedia. It has so many different techniques that Dan has very uh, wonderfully shared based on his experience of decades and decades of learning breathwork. Make sure you get that for free because Audible is offering all our listeners one free Audible download with a 30-day trial. So in case you want to check out the book and listen to it, go to my7chakras.com forward slash free book, my7chakras.com forward slash free book and start listening. <laughs> so Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. All of our interactions is like a digital upgrade for me, like a spiritual upgrade, not a digital upgrade, but a spiritual upgrade for me. So I appreciate you taking your time to connect with me today. Before you go, tell us one thing that you're grateful for and the best way that all of our listeners can find you and learn more about you. Wow, today I am just so grateful that I can feel. What a miracle that we can feel anything, even pain. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that we can feel pain, just the fact that we can feel. Yeah. Wow, mm. what, a, what, a, what a miracle, so grateful for being able to just feel. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and, and how do we learn more about you? How... Ah, thank you, yeah, breathmastery.com. And uh, on Facebook, uh, Dan Brule Breath Mastery. I'm on Instagram, uh, at Dan Brule Official. And, um, and look for me in the breath because I am constantly practicing merging uh, with the breath and with the, uh, with the, with the intelligence of life, with the breath of life. Mm. Thank you. We'll have all these notes, all these links up in the show notes on action tribe. If you want to start learning with Dan, learning the breath work fundamentals, go to my seven chakras.com forward slash breathe with Dan, breathe with Dan. Uh, if you're on Instagram, then take a screenshot of this episode and tag me and Dan, my, ha my handle is at my seven chakras at my seven chakras and Dan's is Dan Brule official. I love the handle Dan Brule official so that we can share your story with our communities. Um, yeah. And if you'd like, if you have any feedback, questions or observations, just email me aj at my seven chakras.com aj at my seven chakras.com. Dan, thank you so much for coming on our show, talking to us about literally the power of our breath and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Thank you, AJ. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening.
my7chakras.com. That is my s e v e n chakras.com. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.